Hi, I'm Pastor James, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church in Hillsborough, Oregon. Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. Our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so each weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please visit our website at www.isunrise.com, I-S-O-N-R-I-S-E.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you, grow along the journey of life with others, develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost, and then learn how to lead other people to know Jesus Christ. Now, on to our weekend message. My name's Kevin. I'm the executive pastor here. And so my job, I love my job. My job is I get to pour into the staff and I get to serve them and I get to shepherd them and I get to encourage them and challenge them and and develop them. And, And that's just, man, I got the best job in the world because I believe that if we're a healthy staff, a healthy head, that everything else will get healthy. And I believe that if one of our pastors gets healthier in an area relationally, emotionally, spiritually, or physically, that it'll impact many, many people. And so I'm really, are you guys proud of the staff? We're, we're, we're going, we're going for God, man. <laughs> I love them. So that's the role I get. So this is called the book. I love that because it, it is the book, right? There's other books, but this is the book. And, and it says that today something's going to happen in our spirit because everything in here is a hundred percent true. And it says that God's word is active and alive and it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And it's going to pierce somewhere in you today. You're going to be part of this story and I don't know what it's going to be, but God knows and you'll know soon. You're part of this story that I'm telling. And then it reveals our hearts and our motives and our thoughts and our actions. And it's God breathing. It's inerrant. It's 100% true. And it was written over 1,500 years, 40 different authors, three continents, and three languages. And so it encourages us, it teaches us, it corrects us, it directs us, challenges us, it brings hope, it brings healing, and it brings freedom and forgiveness. Amen, right? This does. So we're going to just get in the book today. We're going to take a wild journey, wild spiritual journey through this story of just this sin that, man, it just starts manifesting itself and it keeps getting bigger and bigger and it leads to murder. And then we're going to see this life-changing conversation where someone confronts King David and he breaks and he confesses and he repents and he's restored. And he comes to God with just a beautiful broken spirit and a broken heart. And that's what we're going to talk about today, this story. And you're going to be somewhere in the story. I'm in the story. Sometimes we've uh, been all the parts. So let me open in prayer. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for your word and it is active and alive. And man, our minds are open and our hearts are soft and, and you own our souls. I mean, you created that part of us. And so thank you for this, Lord. Uh, some of us are like David where we're just caught in a sin right now and we're trying to hide it and manipulate it and control it and, and have this strategy to wipe it out in a human way and it hurts people. And then you want to use some people today, Lord, to be that voice 
that comes in in a gentle conversation of grace and truth and your perfect timing that will lead the person to repentance. There's some of us, Lord, that need to have this conversation with those that we love because it's to restore them to you. It's not to condemn or it's not to punish them. It's to restore. You're going to use some people today to restore others to you. And then there's some of us, Lord, that we're involved at all in the sin, but we're innocent victims and got just wiped out. And I'd ask that you bring healing and hope to them today and a freedom. Amen. Well, let's review last week. James did just a great job. And he talked about when we're in the desert that, you know, that we're despondent and we're distressed and all. She's, she's a sweet lady. She lives across the street and she comes in and she's super shy. And I met her the first time she was here and God knit us together. And I just love her. So pray that she's okay. So we're in the desert and we can be distressed or depressed or despondent. And these are some of the reasons it can just be a season. We've all had those seasons. We're just in the desert and it, and it can be a good season and a hard season, but as long as it brings us face to face with God, right? So we face him and some of it's selfishness, man, I think back on some of my stuff when we're in pain or we're addicted or we're hurt and we're so selfish, right? It's all about us. And we have the, we don't have this awareness of how we're impacting other people. And God will take us out in the desert to kind of prune us and straighten us out right of that selfishness. So we start looking outward and we start looking up and and then it can be stubbornness. James talked about that really well that, you know, we, uh, you're not in relationship, right? You're not in this relationship with God or others and you're not talking to them or praying or you're not in the word. And it's not about rules. It's about a relationship and we just get stubborn and God will take us out to the desert, you know, and put us there until we can soften our heart and look up and reenter into relationship. And then this fascinating one, it's God's spirit. God just takes us out into the desert and he wants to do a work in our heart and he wants to mature us and he wants to grow us. And then we can be in the desert because it's just flat out sin. And that's what we're going to talk about today, um, that King David was caught in this sin that just kept, it's like a wave that just kept going and wiping out people until someone came in at just the right moment at God's moment and restored him and he repented. Let's go take a look at the next slide. So as we look at this story, you know, I always think of parts. You know, we have a part in all these restorations. The person has a part. God has a part. So in this story, God's part is he's everything. He's all everything, right? But in this story, he's going to orchestrate this so King David's restored to him and restored to his people. Nathan's part, he's a prophet. Uh, he'll be at the end of this story. He's going to have this life-changing, simple, direct conversation with King David, and King David repents, and he returns to God. God. And then David's part is after this season, this year or so of sin, he's going to throw himself with a broken spirit and a broken heart on God's love and forgiveness. And, and so it, it's an exciting story. And then in this story, we also have Bathsheba and Uriah. Bathsheba is married to Uriah. Uriah is one of David's mighty men. He's his warrior. And so the story goes like this. Um, David should have been in war. 
because he's a warrior, right? And he's a commander. He was an amazing king, right? He, he, he did, he wrote poetry and he did music and, and early on he, he killed uh, Goliath and he was anointed a king, but David should have been fighting with his men and, and it, he didn't. He stayed home. And, and the Bible says that he got up late one night and he went out on top of his palace and he looked around and he saw Bathsheba, this beautiful woman that was bathing. And that's where it started. That's where the sin started. And, and he, in a sense, took her. Uh, he sent some men over and, in, in a sense, invited her over. And he slept with her and had uh, sexual relations with Uriah's wife. Uriah's on the front line fighting for King David, representing the kingdom. And David sleeps with his wife. And a little bit later, David gets a word that Bathsheba is pregnant. And so now he's in this sin. He sent her home. He thinks it's done, but it's not done, is it? So he starts using his, he's no different than us. He starts to manipulate and he starts to scheme and he starts to deceive and he starts to abuse his power and his authority. And so he's trying to figure out how how to get out of this without going to God, right? Our flesh. You know how that is when we're stuck in sin. We're, we're, We're trying to play this chess match so no one will find out. We're trying to hide and we're trying to cover it up. So his next step is when he finds out that she's pregnant, he sends a letter to the commander and says, send Uriah home. And so he sends Uriah home and Uriah comes to King David and David asks him, how's it going? He goes, man, we're winning. We're fighting. It's going good. Thank you. We're protecting the Ark of the Covenant. And David goes, I want you to go home and rest and have food and be with your wife. So he's scheming, right? Well, Uriah is an incredible man of integrity. He's an innocent victim in all this. He doesn't go home. He sleeps outside the palace gates with the palace guards. He's not going to go home. So King David invites him up again for a second night. And he says, why didn't you go home? And he said, King David, how could I go home when my men are intense and they're fighting and we're representing you? I cannot go home in comfort when my men are out there. So David gets him uh, drunk and they have a meal together and he gives him a gift and he thinks that that's going to work. But Uriah, he doesn't go home. He still sleeps at the palace gate. So, man, think of our sin. We're trying this external stuff to cover it up, right? And trying to get it, trying to wipe it away. And he can't. So this is what he does. He writes a letter. And the letter says, um, put Uriah on the front line where the fighting's the fiercest. Then pull back so he'll be murdered, so he'll be killed. And he puts it in an envelope and he seals it and he hands it to Uriah. And he goes, go deliver this to the commander. Uriah is carrying his death sentence, his death notice. And so the commander gets it and he puts Uriah where the the opposition's men are the fiercest. And they pull back and he's murdered. But not only he's murdered, uh, other of David's men are murdered. So David is like a murderer now, right? He, he saw, he took something, he wanted something, he abused his power, he's trying to cover it up, and now we see this king that's a man after God's own heart. He murders Uriah, and he murders some of his own men to try to wipe out the sin and try to hide it. Um, the word gets back to him that Uriah's dead. Bathsheba goes into uh, a mourning, and then David takes her as his wife, and they have a baby together. 
And then about a year uh, later, can we go to the next slide? About a year later, Nathan, the prophet, comes into the picture. David's had this thing going for at least probably approximately a year because the baby's born. He probably thinks, I'm done with it. It's over, right? I kind of uh, manipulated everything so, you know, I can move forward. We do that with sin. And then Nathan comes on. I want to talk about this a little bit, and I'll tell you the story. Nathan has this really simple, straightforward conversation with King David, and David breaks right at the moment and he repents and he's restored to God through the process in Psalms 51. So I started thinking about this. I personally don't think that there's that much conflict. I think we call a lot of things conflict, right? But when I say conflict, we almost get kind of nervous and it's going to be this struggle and we might divide. I mean, conflict's tough. I think God's showing me that most of the things that we do is just a conversation, And Nathan just has a conversation with him. But this conversation is with grace and truth. And Jesus came in grace and truth, right? And in truth and grace. And none of us have the market on both of those, do we? How much of, uh, who of you are the truthers? Where are you? All right. So I can avoid you. No. (laughs) And then how many of you are grace? Right, it's grace and truth, but I want to throw in too, it's tone. It's how we enter into these conversations that we're, that we're gentle and that we're there to bring peace, right? And then timing's a huge one. This was God's timing. I think God chose Nathan because he wanted David restored. He knew that Nathan would restore him. He knew that Nathan wouldn't condemn him or punish him. He would restore him. So as we look at this Final piece before we get into Psalm 51, I want to encourage you that we can have these conversations. We can sit down with someone, someone that we love that's wandering away from God, right? It doesn't have to be a conflict in the way that we enter and our posture and our tone and our timing and that we come in grace and truth can restore someone. I don't think there's a greater thing than we can do than to restore someone. That's a privilege and honor, isn't it? If God picks you to restore someone, and there's a lot of people in here right now. I know some of you are caught in sin, and I know some of you need to have a conversation, right? And I know some of you have been wiped out by sin, and we need to pray for you so that you can heal. So this is what happens. Nathan comes to King David, and he tells this simple story. There was a King David, there was a rich man that had many cattle and sheep, and there was a poor man who had one little lamb. In fact, it says in the Bible that little lamb was like a family member. They ate with it and they fed it. And it says they held it like a baby. They just cherished that lamb. And then the Bible says a rich man or a guest came to visit the rich man. And instead of taking one of his cattle and sheep, he went over and took the one lamb. And he killed it. And he fed it to his guest. And this is what David said. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. I think it's fascinating that I'll just speak for myself. When I'm caught in a sin, how I burn against other people's sin, right? I just get wound up and I don't have that grace and I don't have that truth. Well, David says, this man who did this, this man who did this surely must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, what? 
You're the man, David. That was a conversation, truth and grace and tone. He submitted. David could have had him killed. He's the king. And God's timing was perfect. He said, David, you're the man. You did that. You did that to Uriah. This wonderful man of integrity. You took what was his. And then you killed him. And this is David's response. Then David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. Right? That's where it starts, right? I've sinned against you, Lord, and only you. And I think what he's saying is I've sinned against you because I abused your daughter. I sinned against you because I murdered your son. So he says it. I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. That's the good news, right? Forgiveness. You're not going to die. But because by doing this, you've shown utter contempt for the Lord. The son born to you will die. And we see that there's consequences. Nathan continues to say, since you killed Uriah with the sword, your family's going to be killed with the sword. Since you took Bathsheba in private, your wives are going to be taken in public. You're going to be humiliated in public. And we see these consequences that David had to face. And then we head into Psalms 51. And I just want to read this to you. This is David's response right after that life-changing conversation of David, you're that man. And David goes, man, I've sinned against the Lord. And this is what flows out of King David. He says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion and it haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. Man, that's a piece where we're just, there's nothing left but the truth. And we look at God and we say, whatever you decide, it's right. Because your judgment is just and I can take it now because I'm restored to you. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. I love this line. We need this line. This is the good news. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. So often I try to get right externally, right? This is God purifying him. This is God making him whiter than snow. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean and wash me, God, and I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You've broken me. Now let me rejoice. When we're caught in sin, there's no joy. The Bible says that it, 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 our bones hurt and our moral hurts. There just isn't any joy. And he's saying, return to me the joy. Give me back my joy again. You've broken me. Now I can rejoice again. And he says, don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey. I was just talking to someone uh, out in the foyer and man, there is something. He's like, I don't have joy. You know, there's something about the joy of our salvation that no matter what situation or circumstance we're in, we have salvation and it's for today and tomorrow and forever. Return to me the joy of my salvation. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood. 
He's just laying out every single thing he did to God. Forgive me, God, for shedding blood of Uriah and those other men. Oh, God, who saves, and I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth might praise you. And here's the big one. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. So he's saying you do not desire a sacrifice for me sometimes. And I'm just like you when I'm caught in a sin and I don't want to fully face God and I don't want to confess it. I try to bring these external things to get right with God. You agree with that, that we can do that and, and they can look different for all of us. A better job, a fancy car, newer house, clothes. I don't know. You know, whatever it is we're trying to do, I'm trying to work harder, be a better pastor, be a better shepherd, be a better, you know, I'm doing these external things to get right with God. And David says, you do not desire that sacrifice or that kind of offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit and a broken heart and a repentant heart. So let's go to the next slide. So David's saying to us, this is God breathed, God saying this to us through David. The only sacrifice acceptable to God when you're in this situation is a broken spirit and a broken heart and a repentant heart. It says contrite heart. A repentant, contrite heart is you come to God with no excuses. There's no more excuses. They're gone. You come with no blame. You come with no hiding. You come with no manipulating. You come with no deceiving. You come with no fill in the blank. And a broken spirit and a broken heart is when we are at the end of ourselves and there's nowhere else to turn. And none of our shenanigans and manipulation and deceit has worked. And we stand face to face with the living God and we throw ourselves on his love and we throw ourselves on his forgiveness. Right? And we throw ourselves on his mercy. That's what David's saying. So what a beautiful picture, right? This story of this king, man after God's own heart, sinning and adultery. And man, a year. Imagine what else he did in that year, you know, and murder. And then a simple God divine, God led conversation, right? By Nathan, because God wanted King David restored to himself. He wanted his king restored. And then we see David confessing and owning and repenting and then saying, the only thing I got for you, Lord, is I'm coming with a broken spirit and a broken heart. I think that's the good news, don't you? That's the good news. It's forgiveness and it's freedom and we have a different future. And so I want to share what God's teaching me right now about the good news. I believe in the, at, I'm 57 and the role that I'm in uh, here with my family and with my friends, whoever I'm with, I think I have one role and that's to wash them with the good news because that's what heals. That's what healed King David, the good news, the truth, regardless of the situation, circumstance, how bad it is, whatever it is, I want to wash you with the good news because that's where the hope comes in for me. I experienced this whole journey that King David went through. Um, and, you know, I, I, I resigned from my job as a pastor for um, being addicted to drugs. And, you know, God's healing me and I'm repenting and he's restoring my marriage and my daughter's relationship. And God, we're just, it's just a beautiful season, this difficult season. And, and then I relapsed. 
end. And it was, it was desperate. I mean, it was a relapse where uh, my wife asked me to leave and she should have. And I remember I'm in this van. <laughs> I slept in my van a few nights, you know, and, and I remember that I, was, I wanted to die. That's the bottom line. I was in a deep, dark pit. And I wanted to die. I started thinking that my family's better off without me that they're going to be better off, that I'm never going to get out of this pit. I'm going to wipe out my family again. I'm going to lose the respect of everybody. There's just no way out. I mean, I was very thinking about everything, as you can imagine. I was thinking about suicide. I was thinking about how to do it so they'd get the insurance money. I mean, I was just in this deep, dark pit. And so I'm kind of a runner and an isolated, uh, isolator and I'm at this fork, right? Uh, you know, I'm done and I'm gone. And I can go off this way and just whatever I'm going to do. And God whispered in my spirit and he said, go see your small group leader. Because I had a small group at the time. And his name's Nate Thorson and he's 6'4 and he's a physical therapist and he's a wonderful man. And so I drove my van over there. And he has a really nice clinic. And I don't know how I looked or whatever, but I'm on fire, right? I'm done. I need something. I need a connection with a human. And I come in and he sees me and I'm just bawling. And um, he goes to his staff. He goes, hey, give me 10 minutes, you know. And he takes me into one of his rooms. And I grab him, big guy, and his face is right. And I'm like, I'm done. I, I, you know, I relapsed. I relapsed. And he goes, he goes, Kev, before time. God made you and shaped you and designed you and created you. And he's well pleased with you and your name's in his book. And he has a plan and purpose for your life. Something's going on in my spirit now, right? I don't know what it is. He's washing me with the good news. And he goes, Kev, you just confessed to me. You have a new heart. You have a new hope. You have a new future, right? You're washed whiter than snow right now. God loves you. He's always loved you. We love you. You can make it. He goes, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing, Kevin. You're going to be redeemed. You're going to be a pastor again someday. You're going to make it. God has a plan for you. You just confess. That's all you need to do. All this is over and it's wiped away. And he kept doing that for like 10 minutes. And I walked out that door. I walked in dead and I walked out alive and I didn't use again, <laughs> right? And it was because this guy just held me and he didn't care what I did, how he could care less about that. He just said, you need the good news. That's what we need, folks. We need to wash each other with the good news, no matter what's going on. So I'm going to finish up here and pray, and Lene's going to come up. I think she's going to come up. So, Oh, there she is. So you're in the story somewhere. You might be caught in one of these sins. You know right now, I know you know, if you're to have this kind of conversation with someone that you love, to restore them, not to condemn them or punish them, but to wash them with the good news. Because that's what this person needs, whoever it is. If they're hurt, and they need to be washed with the good news. They need to know that there's hope, and then you can deal with what's going on. And there's some of you that, you know, uh, are innocent victims, and I'm sorry, because I've hurt some people. So I'm going to pray, and then Lene will finish. So, Lord, we come before you. 
your word is active and alive and it's pierced us this morning. And Lord, Lord, no matter where we're in the story, you're, you're, you're the story writer. <laughs> Those of us that are caught in sin, Lord, right now, and we're doing all that stuff. I pray, Lord, that there'll be someone that will love them enough to come to them and look them in the eyes. And with love and truth and grace and timing would just... Wash them with the good word. And then for those, Lord, that I wiped out so many, I, I, I can't imagine. Those that are sitting here that have been wiped out, the Urias or, you know, the Bathshebas, that, Lord, we just ask that you would heal them and you'd uh, begin to do a good work in them so they could trust again. In Jesus' name.